Amen, indeed. Thank you for worshiping with us this morning. What a great way to start out the new year, meeting together in the name of the Lord, 2022. We wonder what it holds for us, whether you're meeting with us in person today or whether you're joining us online, welcome. I'm glad you've chosen to be here. It's a good place to be and it's a privilege to open God's word together this morning. We are continuing our series uh, that we've been working through the promises of God, right out of the wilderness and into the promises of God. And as we look back on 2021, it might have felt a little bit like the wilderness. And we, we hope that 2022 will be better, but the important thing is we enter it relying on God and the promises of God. And that's what we're going to focus on today as we look at the protection of God, the promise that we are protected by God. Believers in Jesus Christ, those who have put their faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, are protected by God. But what does that mean? I mean, when I think about my own life, I remember a time when I was, a, I was fairly young. I can't remember exactly. I was maybe grade two or three, something like that. Living in Kenya where my parents were missionaries and we love to climb trees in Kenya. Apparently, you're not allowed to do that around here. There's a bylaw against it, but maybe it's only trees on public property. I don't know. But anyways, in Kenya, we climb trees all the time. It was, we built forts in trees. We, we put zip lines in trees. We, we just, I don't know what it was about trees. But anyways, I'm in this tree, and I thought I was fairly high off the ground. I'm not sure exactly how high I was. I was, I was little, so it was probably lower than I thought, but it seemed high at the time. I didn't realize the branch I'm standing on was rotten. And so, of course, as I'm standing there looking around, at the branch breaks and I fall from this tree. And as I fall, I remembered it very vividly, even though it was a long time ago. I, it's like it happened in slow motion. I remember falling like this and landing on a branch below on my back, like this, like hard. And then from there, I flipped over and fell the rest of the way down to the ground. And I remember distinctly thinking to myself, I'm in trouble. Like, I must be really badly hurt. That, that was quite a fall. I was, I was scared as I'm lying there on the ground, but there was no one else with me. I was by myself. I was a little ways away from our house. I couldn't really call for help. So I, I rolled over and I got myself up and I realized I was perfectly fine. I didn't have a scratch, I didn't have any bruising, I, didn't, I wasn't sore, nothing. And as I look back on that, I think God had his hand of protection on me. Somehow he prevented me from being injured in that, at that moment, because I should have been hurt. I mean, when you think about it, the physics involved and all that stuff, it, it should have hurt me. Now on the other hand, we had another tree in our backyard that we tied a rope swing to. And we used to compete to see who could jump the farthest off the rope swing. As boys, of course, me and my brothers always wanted to see who could jump the farthest. And in doing so, one time I jumped and I landed awkwardly and I broke this arm, both bones right there. Um, did, was God not protecting me that time? Or maybe, maybe he was, maybe I should have broken my neck for doing something so silly. But, 
but he didn't protect me from harm that time. So he did the one time when I fell, and then the other time when I jumped. Maybe that's the problem. Maybe it's because I did it on purpose. I don't, I don't know, but, but as we go through life and we look at what happens to us, we look at our life experiences, we think back, it's hard to, to understand God's protection sometimes. Like, more recently, I remember driving once with uh, my van. I was on Steeles Avenue going down this long hill. It was winter, it was slippery, it was icy, and the traffic in front of me started to stop, and so I put my foot on the brake and I just started to slide. And I'm like, I'm gonna hit something. And it, it really felt to me, I, I, I can't explain it any other way, but it felt like God reached down, grabbed my van in his hand, and just kind of steered me around all the cars, and I didn't hit a single thing. It's not because I'm some great driver. I had no clue what was going on. God, I believe, protected me in that moment. Now, there are other times when I've been in serious car accidents where God didn't protect me or it didn't, it didn't feel like he was protecting me. I, so I think, I think we all understand that as Christians, we don't go through life surrounded by some sort of invisible force field, right, that protects us from harm, right? I think we all get that. That's not what God's protection means. So what, what does it mean that we are protected by God? We just sang all these songs about calling on the name of the Lord. He's our fortress. He's our deliverer. We can look to him for everything. He's our help. He's our strength. And even if we look in the New Testament or throughout the Bible, really, uh, we would all agree that God is with us and he cares about us, right? Right? First Peter 5, 7, cast all your anxiety on him because he cares for you. We believe God cares for us. He's watching over us. What about in your life? Let's do a quick poll. How many of you, raise your hand if you've ever felt like God protected you from something? Hands up. That's a lot of hands. That's good. Now, hands up if you ever felt like he didn't protect you. He let something happen to you that you thought, hey, hold, on, hold on a sec, God, where were you when that happened? So there's a few. I can raise my hands for both of those events because I don't always understand what that means, that God will protect us. You see, we live in this world, and it's filled with challenges, right? Conflicts of various kinds, disease, illness, this pandemic we're living through right now, financial crisis, death. There is so much that can cause fear in our lives, and yet God promises that he is our protector. How does that work? What does it mean, and how should we live in this promise? That's what we want to explore today, and we need to start by looking at what God says about it. Where does this promise come from, and how can we apply it to our lives? Well, this promise is found in the middle of one of the most famous, one of the most well-known miracles in the Old Testament. You all know it. As soon as I start talking about it, you're going to go, yeah, I know that. You can probably see it in your mind's eye. See, movies have been made about this miracle. Songs have been written about it. Scientists have tried to come up with a logical, natural explanation for it to try and explain it away. In fact, the nation of Israel recounted this event over and over throughout the Old Testament when talking about who God was, his might, his strength, his faithfulness. You can look it up. It's in Psalm 78, Psalm 136, Isaiah 51, Isaiah 63, just to name a few of those places. 
I'm referring to the parting of the waters of the sea when the Israelites were leaving Egypt and the Egyptian army is chasing after them. You know the story, right? We've all probably seen the movie, Charlton Heston, Exodus. Okay, maybe some of you aren't as old as me. There we go. But, and there's a newer one, right? The Prince of Egypt. They did it in there too. There's, you all know the story. And in the middle of this event, in the middle of that event, we find these two short verses in Exodus 14. You can turn there if you want. Exodus 14, we're going to be in that chapter for a little bit. But verse 13 and verse 14, here's what it says. Moses answered the people, do not be afraid. Stand firm and you will see the deliverance the Lord will bring you today. The Egyptians you see today, you will never see again. And then here's the promise in verse 14. The Lord will fight for you. You need only be still. The Lord will fight for you. You need only be still. Now, this is in the middle of a story that we think we know, but let's read the story again just to make sure we're understanding the context of this promise and the background for this promise. Remember, the Israelites have been in slavery, right? And God sends Moses. He says, let my people go. Moses says, no. So then God shows his power with all the plagues. Remember the 10 plagues? And finally, Pharaoh relents and says, fine, take your people, take your things, get out of Egypt. As we pick up the story here in the beginning of chapter 14, Exodus chapter 14, the Israelites are on their way out of Egypt. Then the Lord said to Moses, tell the Israelites to turn back and encamp near Pi-Hahiroth, between Migdal and the sea. They are to encamp by the sea directly opposite Baal-Zephon. Pharaoh will think the Israelites are wandering around the land in confusion, hemmed in by the desert. And I will harden Pharaoh's heart and he will pursue them. But I will gain glory for myself through Pharaoh and all his army. And the, and the Egyptians will know that I am the Lord. So the Israelites did this. When the king of Egypt was told that the people had fled, Pharaoh and his officials changed their minds about them and said, what have we done? We have let the Israelites go and have lost their services. So he had his chariot made ready and took his army with him. He took 600 of the best chariots along with all the other chariots of Egypt with officers over all of them. The Lord hardened the heart of Pharaoh, king of Egypt, so that he pursued the Israelites who were marching out boldly. The Egyptians, all Pharaoh's horses and chariots, horsemen and troops, pursued the Israelites and overtook them as they camped by the sea near Pi-Hahiroth, opposite Baal-Zephon. As Pharaoh approached... The Israels looked up, and there were the Egyptians marching after them. They were terrified and cried out to the Lord. They said to Moses, was it because there were no graves in Egypt that you brought us to the desert to die? What have you done to us by bringing us out of Egypt? Didn't we say to you in Egypt, leave us alone, let us serve the Egyptians? It would have been better for us to serve the Egyptians than to die in the desert. Moses answered the people, do not be afraid. Stand firm and you will see the deliverance the Lord will bring you today. The Egyptians you see today, you will never see again. The Lord will fight for you. You need only be still. Then the Lord said to Moses, why are you crying out to me? Tell the Israelites to move on. Raise your staff and stretch out your hand over the sea to divide the water so the Israelites can walk through the sea on dry ground. 
I will harden the hearts of the Egyptians so that they will go in after them, and I will gain glory through Pharaoh and all his army, through his chariots and his horsemen. The Egyptians will know that I am the Lord when I gain glory through Pharaoh, his chariots and his horsemen. Then the angel of God, who had been traveling in front of Israel's army, withdrew and went behind them. The pillar of cloud also moved from in front and stood behind them, coming between the armies of Egypt and Israel. Throughout the night, the cloud brought darkness to the one side and light to the other side, so neither went near the other all night long. Then Moses stretched his hand out over the sea, and all that night, the Lord drove the sea back with a strong east wind and turned it into dry land. The waters were divided, and the Israelites went through the sea on dry ground with a wall of water on their right and on their left. The Egyptians pursued them, and all Pharaoh's horses and chariots and horsemen followed them into the sea. During the last watch of the night, the Lord looked down from the pillar of fire and cloud at the Egyptian army and threw it into confusion. He jammed the wheels of their chariots so they had difficulty driving. And the Egyptians said, let's get away from the Israelites. The Lord is fighting for them against Egypt. Then the Lord said to Moses, stretch out your hand over the sea so that the waters may flow back over the Egyptians and their chariots and horsemen. Moses stretched out his hand over the sea and at daybreak the sea went back to its place. The Egyptians were fleeing toward it and the Lord swept them into the sea. The water flowed back and covered the chariots and horsemen. The entire army of Pharaoh that had followed the Israelites into the sea, not one of them survived. But the Israelites went through the sea on dry ground with a wall of water on their right and on their left. That day the Lord saved Israel from the hands of the Egyptians. And Israel saw the Egyptians lying on, dead on the shore. And when the Israelites saw the mighty hand of the Lord displayed against the Egyptians, the people feared the Lord and put their trust in him and in Moses, his servant. This is the word of God. Let's pray. Lord God, we thank you for your word. And as we dig into these, this promise of yours to protect us, to watch over us, to fight for us, Lord, I pray you would give us clarity of thought. We would see what this means for us today, how to apply it to our lives, how to depend on you, Lord. Thank you for what you're going to teach us, Lord. May your Holy Spirit be at work in our lives today. I pray in Jesus' name, amen. The Lord will fight for you. You need only be still. The first part of that makes perfect sense. The Lord will fight for you. Yay. But what does it mean to be still? You need only be still. This word be still means keep silent. Be quiet. Stop your complaining. You know, that's what the Israelites were doing, right? They saw a problem and they lifted their voices to the Lord and said, Lord, what have you done? Why are you bringing us out to die in the desert? And God says, if I might paraphrase, he says, hush, I've got this. Be still. As we look at the context of this promise, the whole story, how it played out, God kept his promise in a big, miraculous way, didn't he? Remember, we have to remember this. The Israelites are a people, they're not even a nation yet, they're a people group and they've been in years and years and years of slavery in Egypt. And now they're coming out of Egypt, they're coming out of that with this new leader, Moses, who speaks for God. God is leading them, but, but they know very little at this point in their 
history and this point in their lives, they know very little about trusting God. So God sets this whole thing up. Do you, you see that in the passage as we read it? God had his hand over this whole thing. First of all, he directed the Israelites to the sea and told them where to camp. In fact, in order to get them there, they had to change direction. Did you see those words in there? They were headed in one way and he said they have to turn back to go and camp at Pihahirath by the sea. God put them there. What was he doing? Well, he was baiting the Egyptians. He was baiting the Egyptians into pursuing the Israelites. We see in verse three, he causes Pharaoh to think. The Israelites are wandering around in the land in confusion, hemmed in by the desert. And then he hardens Pharaoh's heart so that he'll pursue them. Why? God didn't have to do that. God could have just led the Egyptians out in a nice, gentle way. Egyptians could have just left them alone. All would have been good. Well, we see why God was doing this twice in the passage. Almost the exact same words. Verse four, sounds like someone's repeating themselves, but verse four he says, but I will gain glory for myself. This is God speaking. Through Pharaoh and all his army and the Egyptians will know that I am the Lord. And then almost the exact same words in verse 17 and 18. And I will gain glory through Pharaoh and all his army, through his chariots and his horsemen. The Egyptians will know that I am the Lord when I gain glory through Pharaoh, his chariots and his horsemen. So here's the thing. This was not a battle between Israel and Egypt or the Israelites and the Egyptians. This was a battle between God and the Egyptians. This was God's battle. And God was going to bring glory to himself. And he set up this whole event to show the Egyptians who he is. Now we tend to look at the parting of the sea as the big miracle here, right? But there's a whole bunch of miracles that go on in this passage. Look at them with me. First of all, he set the stage as he set up to fight the Egyptians. God set the stage. He put everyone right where they needed to be. Right? He told the Israelites where to go camp so that they were kind of trapped by the sea. He hardened the hearts of the Egyptians and caused them to pursue them. He tells the Israelites when to move. He tells Moses when to raise his staff and part the waters. It's all God. God directs all of this event. And then notice he places his angel in the cloud between the Egyptians and the Israelites. This is, this is a miraculous event because you notice this whole thing took place at night. Did you notice that in the text? All through the night, it says, the Egyptians were kept in darkness. That makes sense. It was night. But the Israelites were kept in the light all night long. That in itself is a miracle. And then, of course, the big miracle we all remember, Moses raises his staff and the sea parts and it, must have, it wasn't like a little narrow path like this, right? There was maybe a million or two million Israelites. It would have taken them forever. It was, it was wide. It was a wide expanse of dry ground for the Israelites to cross over on. And then it says that God throws the Egyptian army into confusion as they enter in and try and chase after the Israelites. And he does so by messing with the wheels on their chariots. 
Now, I read a couple commentaries that said, oh, their, their, their chariot wheels got stuck in the mud of, of, the, of the, where they were walking across the sea. But we just read, I think it says twice, that the Israelites crossed on dry ground. There wasn't any mud. Or I guess God could have made it muddy for the Egyptians and made it dry for the Israelites. He's, he can do anything. But the point is, is God, God did it. In fact, the, the Egyptians even realized it. They cry out and start to flee. They go, we've got to get out of here. God is fighting for the Israelites. They get it. They see that it's God. But it's too late, right? God closes the sea over them as they try to flee, and it says not one of them survived. God fought the battle. It was his battle. He fought it, and he delivered the Israelites. He protected them in a mighty and powerful and miraculous way. And the result, verse 31, when the Israelites saw the mighty hand of the Lord displayed against the Egyptians, the people feared the Lord and put their trust in him and in Moses, their servant. See, God orchestrated this whole event to do two things, to bring honor and glory to himself in the eyes of the Egyptians and to show the Israelites that they could trust him, that they could trust God. Well, that event probably happened about three and a half thousand years ago or so. We don't know exactly. I don't know exactly, at least. But what do we do today? A few thousand years later, as we look at a story from the Old Testament, what could we learn from this text, from this promise? Can we even claim this promise for ourselves? Or was it just for, the, just for the Israelites? Or just for that specific situation? And if we can claim it, which obviously I think we can, otherwise I wouldn't be preaching on it. If we can claim it, how? What does that look like in our lives? Especially in light, if, if you've read other parts of the Bible, you know the New Testament. In the New Testament we read of terrible suffering for the early church. The early disciples, the first disciples, the apostles. In fact, Jesus Christ himself said in John 16, in this world you will have trouble. He warned us that we would have trouble. It wasn't going to be smooth sailing. Does God still protect us? Did God protect the early church? Does he protect us today? I mean, the promise is the Lord will fight for you. You need only be still or keep silent. I think the promise is still for us. I believe the promise is still for us. I believe we are protected by God. Let me show you a few ways. The first thing that we need to understand in terms of God's protection is that God fights his battles. God fights his battles. When the battle is the Lord's, he will do the fighting. See, I think sometimes we, we, we are in battles and struggles that aren't God's fight. And we maybe get confused. And we think God should be rescuing us when that isn't God's battle. We don't know the mind of the Lord. But when the battle is the Lord's, when it's God's battle, he will do the fighting. Yes, sometimes he will use us as instruments. He used Moses to lift his staff, and he didn't have to do that. He could have just parted the waters, but he used Moses so the Israelites 
would trust Moses as their leader and see that God was using him. And sometimes God uses us, uses you, uses me to, to fight his battles. But at the end of the day, it's God's battle. And if it's God's battle, he does the fighting. Notice the only thing the Israelites did in this whole event, other than complain, but the only thing they did right was they followed God's instructions. And when God's fighting our battles for us, that's all we have to do. Follow the Lord's instructions. We need only follow God's instructions. Imagine, if you will, that, that after God made that proclamation that I will fight for you. If a bunch of the, the young guys, you know, these young Israelites, they're full of uh, vim and vigor and they're, they're like, hey, God's gonna fight for us. Let's gather up some weapons and let's attack the Egyptian army. God has promised he's gonna fight for us. That would have been a disaster. The Israelites didn't know anything about fighting at this time. They knew nothing. They had to follow God's instructions. And so do you. You need to move when he says move. You need to stay put when he says stay put. You need to faithfully follow his direction in your life. How do you know what that is? Well, we go to the word of God, right? The Israelites didn't have the Bible, but we do. We have God's instruction manual for life. Everything we need to know about life and how to obey and live in obedience to God is right here in his word. God fights his battles. We need only follow his instructions. The second thing we need to understand is that God is present in our battles. He doesn't just say, don't worry, the battle's mine, and then disappear and leave us wondering, well, how's that gonna, what's that going to look like? Now, God is present when we face struggles. He makes his presence known and felt. We've just celebrated Christmas, right? Christmas, we talk about Emmanuel, which means God with us. God is with us, and he, he makes his presence felt when we face struggles. Like the cloud and the light that he gave to the Israelites so they could see the representation of God with them. Can you imagine what an encouragement that must have been to the Israelites? I mean, it's one thing for God to say, don't worry, I've got this. It's another thing to see that all night long, God provided light for the Israelites. They knew God was there. They felt his presence. They could see his presence. It was encouraging for them. And God is with us. He makes his presence known. It's, it's no different today other than he doesn't necessarily give us a cloud and a fire to see up in the sky to look at. But he still makes his presence known amongst us. How does he do that? Well, he does it through the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit was sent to us to indwell us, to teach us, to lead us, to be God's presence among us. Turn in your Bibles over to John chapter 16. John chapter 16 uh, Jesus is talking to his disciples, and there's, there's, I'm not going to read the whole thing to you. There's lots in here about the Holy Spirit as Jesus is promising to send him to him, to the disciples. But uh, John chapter 16, verse 13, but when he, the Spirit of truth, that is the Holy Spirit, comes, he will guide you into all truth. 
He will not speak on his own. He will speak only what he hears, and he will tell you what is yet to come. He will bring glory to me. This is Jesus speaking, remember? The Holy Spirit will bring glory to Jesus by taking from what is mine and making it known to you. Jesus sent us the Holy Spirit to indwell us, to teach us, to guide us through this life, to be the physical representation of God with us. But there's more than that. God is also with us through the church. Turn back a couple of books to Matthew, Matthew chapter 5. And in Matthew chapter 5, verse 14, Jesus again is speaking to those that will believe in him. And he says, you are the light of the world. Now we know Jesus is the light of the world, right? But here Jesus says, you are the light of the world. A city on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on its stand and it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before men that they may see your good deeds and praise your Father in heaven. The church, made up of all the believers, all whom God has saved, they are to let their light shine. We are to let our light shine. The light of God that lives in us is to shine for all the world to see. People will see Christ in you because he lives in you. That's how we know God is with us. That's how we see God is with us. We see Christ in each other. That's why we do life together. That's why we meet together like this. That's why we get together in smaller groups in DCs because we need each other to, to love each other, to encourage each other with the love and encouragement that comes from God. Because we need God's love and encouragement to strengthen us, to give us hope in the battles that we face. God is with us. He makes his presence known in our battles. Finally, we know that God protects us because God has already won the battle. God has already won the battle. We're protected because the battle is already won. The, the Israelites hadn't faced a battle yet. Right? There had been no battles. There were going to be many to come. They needed to know that God was going to fight for them. But we know the end of the story. We know what happens when Jesus Christ came. We know that the battle is already won. I quoted part of John 16.33 earlier. Those of you who know the verse know that I only quoted a small part of the verse. Here's what the whole thing says. I have told you these things, this is Jesus speaking, so that in me you may have peace. In this world you will have trouble, but take heart. I have overcome the world. Past tense. It's already done. Christ Jesus has already overcome the world. He's already won the battle. I don't know what situation you find yourself in today, what battles you're facing, what struggles you're facing, but the real battle, the most important battle, the battle between life and death, eternal life and eternal death has already been won. When Jesus Christ, the Son of God, sacrificed his life on the cross for our sins, to restore our relationship with God. And when he rose from the dead on the third day, sealing his victory over death, the battle was won. It's over. It's finished. 
Redemption has been won. We have been delivered. It's already finished. Turn with me, if you can, to 1 Corinthians uh, 15, verse 51. 1 Corinthians 15, verse 51, and we're going to read to 58. Listen, I tell you a mystery. We will not all sleep, but we will all be changed. In a flash, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet, for the trumpet will sound, the dead will be raised imperishable, and we will be changed. For the perishable must clothe itself with the imperishable and the mortal with immortality. When the perishable has been clothed with the imperishable and the mortal with immortality, then the saying that is written will come true. Death has been swallowed up in victory. Where, O oh, death, is your victory? Where, O oh, death, is your sting? The sting of death is sin and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God, he gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, my dear brothers and sisters, stand firm. Let nothing move you. Always give yourselves fully to the work of the Lord because you know that your labor in the Lord is not in vain. As a believer, saved by God, adopted into the family of God, you are protected by God for all eternity. The battle's already won. You are protected by God for all eternity. What does that look like? Well, first of all, you are a new creation. God, when, you're, when God saved you, he made you into a new creation. 2 Corinthians 5, 17, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come. The old has gone, the new is here. You're protected by God for all eternity because you are a new creature, a new creation in Christ Jesus. Secondly, you're protected for all eternity because you've been sealed by the Holy Spirit. Ephesians 4.30, and do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God with whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Did you realize that? Did you realize that when God saved you, and gave you the Holy Spirit. He sealed you for all eternity. He protected you with the seal of the Holy Spirit. You are sealed by the Holy Spirit for the day of redemption. We're also protected for all eternity because nothing can separate you from the love of God. Nothing. You can look it up in Romans 8, 38, 39. We won't go there right now. But it says nothing Nothing you can even imagine, even things you don't understand, can separate you from the love of God. And then finally, you're protected for all eternity by God because you are guaranteed eternal life in the presence of God. And there are verses about that all throughout the New Testament. You look at John 3.16, uh, 1 John 5.11, Romans 6.23, many others that remind us that the believer will spend eternity with God. God has already won the battle. You are protected by God for all eternity. That's how God protection, God's protection works. He's with us. He makes his presence known to us. He fights his battles. And you will feel his presence at times. But most importantly, 
You need to know that you are protected for eternity, an eternity with life, of life with Christ Jesus in the presence of God for all eternity. Let's pray together. Lord God, we thank you and, and praise you for your promises, Lord. As we enter into this new year, Lord, I, I trust that you will encourage us and teach us and build our faith and our trust in you, Lord. Help us to hold fast to the promises of God and hold on to them tightly knowing that you are in control. You will fight your battles. Your presence with us will never fail. And most importantly, Lord, we are so thankful that you have already won the most important battle and that we are guaranteed as believers in Jesus, eternal life with Jesus. Lord, thank you for your grace and your mercy, your strength and your protection. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. The Lord is my salvation. Is he yours? Amen. Have you learned, like the Israelites, to fear the Lord and put your trust in him? See, our response today to this promise is very simple. It's faith in God. Trust in God. Put our faith in God as we enter 2022. Whether it's for the first time, maybe, maybe today is the day of salvation for you as God saves you today. As you receive the gift of Jesus Christ as your Savior. Or maybe, maybe you've been a Christian for many, many, many years. But you struggle with trusting God in every area of your life. We are protected by God. Trust Him. He is with us. He will fight for us. He has fought for us already and he has won the battle. As we enter this new year, whatever it holds, we don't know. Remember, remember the words of the Lord. We need only be still, be quiet. God's got this. You, we are protected by God. Happy New Year to all of you. I trust it will be a blessed one. Have a great day.